This is the Ogilvy Podcast. I'm Chris Saletti. First off, we want to wish all of our listeners a happy new year, and we hope that 2018 brings you nothing but happiness and success. And as we turn the page on another year, we look towards the future, and in particular today, the workplace of the future. And it's a topic we've broached a bit before, in particular in our first ever episode titled The Future of Work, which we invite you to listen to in the archives if you haven't already. Today, though, the topic isn't exactly on what work we're doing or are going to do in the future, but rather where we'll do it. Working remotely or working from home is becoming increasingly common, and as technology continues to improve, more and more job functions can be done without being physically in an office or workplace setting. So what does that mean for workers and companies alike? Is it a good thing, bad thing, something in between? Well, to dive into this, I sat down with Ben Waver, the CEO of behavioral science and organizational network analysis firm Humanize. Ben is also the author of the book People Analytics, How Social Sensing Technology Will Transform Business and What It Tells Us About the Future of Work. So let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Ben Waver. I actually did want to start with um, just one thing I saw when I was uh, skimming through your book, and uh, I saw that you have you have a chapter titled "The Water Cooler Effect." Yeah. Why a friendly chat is the most important part of the workday. So, without spoiling it, if you can present us, uh, you know, an answer, I guess to that to that question. So, why is a friendly chat, perhaps by the water cooler, the proverbial proverbial water cooler, why is that the most important part of the workday? I'll give both a macro-level explanation as well as a micro-level explanation with really hard data on it. Sure. Um, at a macro-level, I mean, I think in the U.S. and, let's say, the Western world more broadly, there's this, I think, belief that being productive is sitting at your desk, banging out emails, writing reports, you know, creating a single file, that sort of thing, and that having lunch with a coworker or chatting with the water cooler, that's wasting your time. It's almost the exact opposite. Hmm. And one way you can think about that is imagine you spend six hours of your day making 20 people you work with 10% more effective. And that should be your job. Uh, now the issue is that it's traditionally really hard to measure those effects. You know, if I um, increase the level of trust that I have with you, what does that do not just for the work of myself, uh, but for the team or the, the whole company. If I introduce you to somebody I know on another team or outside the company that then gives you a new idea, could I quantify that value? Hmm. That's always been really elusive. And but going back again to, to my PhD research um, at MIT, what we really started to do was use data about how people collaborate at work, so think email, chat, meeting data, um, but also sensor data about face-to-face interaction to understand uh, the impact of those things. And what we saw time and again, and I'll give you one specific example, is just how important these informal chats were. And as, again, in particular, there's this one company, it's a uh, multinational, very large uh, technology company, 
Um, a big part of their business is providing a multi-million dollar servers to customers. Hmm. And what happens is these uh, basically salespeople calling from the field say, you know, I need a server that does X, Y, and Z. These people who mostly have master's degrees will then in the office go configure um, these systems and then uh, send out a quote uh, as fast as possible. So speed is really important. Um, at the same time, if it's a simple request, it can take you about five minutes to finish the request. If it's really complicated, it could take you up to eight hours, a whole day. What we saw was, again, so across all these employees, we knew who they were communicating with, um, uh, with uh, when, you know, from digital communication, but at the same time, face-to-face, because we had these next-generation IDs on them who knew which knows who talks to who, how people talk to each other, <laughs> we don't record what they say, we don't give individual data to companies. What it does let us uh, capture is really what is the communication network within the company and how does that change over time? What you saw was that in general, having a very cohesive network, the people you talk to talk a lot to each other, uh, was extremely important. The people with the most cohesive networks were you know, 15, 20% um, faster in completing these tasks with people with less cohesive networks. Um, and again, these are the sorts of uh, relationships you can form by the water cooler, where if I, you know, I chat with you, I know you, and then a friend comes by and I introduce you, it creates this uh, more tight network, and that um, can be very effective for a variety of reasons. Right. At the same time, this data was unique because I know exactly when people were working on a task. Right? The company logged when mm-hmm. the salesperson called in, and then when I filled the request. So you know exactly when people are, are working. And if you think about the, the fact that you're paid based on how quickly you turn these configurations around, you could make the argument that any time you're not at your desk working on this task, you're wasting your time, right? Right? because it'll take you longer. But we saw something very interesting. If you just looked at who people spoke to when they were working on a task, right, there were about four people right, who over the course of a month everybody would talk to at some point, right, during a task. Okay. And when you talked to one of those people, you completed that task in a third of the time that it normally took you. It's a massive effect, right? Hmm. But the thing is, is that, you know, these essentially informal experts, they had the same job title as everybody else, but they had statistically average performance. And a big reason for that is they were spending hours of their day helping their coworkers. And they were literally making less money because of it. They were helping them because they felt like it was the right thing to do. Right, right. And this gets to the heart of the issue, right? So where did these people talk? You know, they talked informally by their by their desk or, or, or by the coffee machine. They'd bump into each other informally. But that these are the sorts of informal interactions that that drive the performance not just not of an individual but of the whole division. Yeah. And that's this trade-off where, like, this company had this perverse incentive where you got paid more if you kept to yourself and didn't share with other people. But those employees who were willing to, to get up, you know, hang up by the coffee machine, hey, you have, a, you have a problem, got some, you know, I can help you with that. That was instrumental to the success of the whole company. And that as a result of this data, they were able to actually change these incentives and also publicly acknowledge every day. Who helped you today? And you call them out for, for that kind of recognition. That those sort of things are really important. Right. Right? And that this was a case in, in that specific uh, 
organization. It was something where we had really hard data, so it was really easy to quantify that you're giving this person advice here, and this has this large effect. But that we've seen company after company that you have this really cohesive, you know, when you need to create these really tight-knit groups, by and large, that, that happens, again, in these informal gathering areas, um, like water coolers, like coffee machines, and that that correlates very highly um, with effectiveness of pro- uh, project execution, with um, reduction turnover, those sort of things. Right. And so you, you see that, you know, we clearly don't think enough about the importance of these informal gathering mechanisms that have, frankly, about as large of an impact on how people uh, work Mm. as things like work church. Yeah. So then, you know, how does that sort of, um, you know, what what effect does telecommuting working from home sort of have then in in terms of that? I mean, obviously, it's going to be, you know, just in general work, you know, whether or not somebody can can do their task from home is dependent on the, 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 the task they're doing, the job the job they're doing, the company, they, the company they work for, but you know, is the is that the biggest thing that's lost when people work from home? Is that they're not sort of there? Not that they can't do their do their task remotely. It's that they are so um, isolated from from just sort of the overall culture and everyday sort of informal interactions. Is that what is lost the most? That's the biggest danger in that the. Collaboration technologies we have at our disposal today are not very good at recreating those kinds of interactions. Right? The, the, you think about it this way: the when you work remotely, you still have all the meetings, you still call into all those things. Right? But it's the, the informal chat after the meeting. It's bumping into somebody in the hallway who you couldn't have possibly planned to bump into. And, oh yeah, I forgot. I have to get to, back to you about that. Um, those are the things that are lost, um, and they're extremely hard. Uh, and just what you see in the, in the data is that when the amount you communicate with somebody and your communication pattern is, the, the biggest predictor of that is where you sit. Mm. If I sit next to you, I communicate a lot with you. And so as a consequence, if I'm very rarely in the office, it has a pretty dramatic impact, not, not just on yourself, right, but on the entire organization. I mean, the whole reason we're in companies is because together we can do something we couldn't do by ourselves. Now, that's not to say that if your role is very external-facing, you're a journalist, you're a salesperson, or you've got to go to a client site, right? Obviously, you're going to have to work um, out of the office then. And it's not to say that a couple times a month, your kid's sick, or you, know, you need a repairman to come by, you know, work from home. The data is also pretty clear that if you're talking about a couple times a month, it's really not a huge impact on the performance of the whole team. It's when you start to eclipse that, right, and get to the, to the point where you know, three, four times a week, you're not in the office, right? It, it starts to have a real impact, and it's a very, very hard and takes a huge amount of discipline to informally reach out to people and, and keep those connections happen. Yeah. I mean, in, in the case of myself, I mean, I actually do travel a lot um, uh, for my job, and what I do is every single day, no matter where I am, um, I will call every one of my direct reports and, you know, for a couple minutes. Hmm. It's not on the calendar or anything, and typically it's in between meetings. Um, but I do it just in, you know, three-quarters of the time we end up talking about work. But it's just something that I do. Right. And that, you know, sometimes you say, hey, you know, see any good movies, how your kid's doing, <laughs> because that's what's lost. Right. But, but I can say, even having done this for years, it's 
still takes a lot of effort and discipline to remember to do that. Yeah, sure. um, and that there's again still not really good ways to do that. And and I would argue that there's at least not good ways to do that where there's hard data showing that it has an impact. Mm. Um, you know, mm. the internet is certainly littered with examples of people saying, "Oh, I did this and it was effective for me." But a personal pet peeve is people using anecdotes to make large-scale policy decisions. Yeah. Um, I mean, at this point, we have the largest data set on workplace interaction in the world, right? And so when I, when I, when I think about these topics, right, I really like to dig into the data itself and say, well, if you do work from home a couple days a week, right, what tends to happen? And it's not to say that there aren't that there aren't exceptions. Not to say there aren't strategies that would work. But I would but I can say definitively that they're few and far between. Right. Um, and that I've yet to see, frankly, any organization roll out anything that has a significant impact on the deficits that you see when people work remotely. Hmm. So. Um, well, yeah. One thing that was just interesting, you know, that you mentioned was that the technologies we we have now you know don't really aren't don't, don't do a good job of of sort of um mirroring or extending out those informal interactions that we have and like i feel like i could i could already hear some people being like oh well you're not in my you're not you're not on my team's slack like we're ta- we're chatting all day in the slack oh sure but we, we have slack data i mean listen the thing i, I would the thing that i would internally at humanize. Oh, sorry go ahead no yeah i mean i was gonna say the thing i would i would counter that with is that it's still a sort of closed group of, of people. It's probably just like your team that you work with every, like on every, on your tasks every single day. And what you lose by not being able to come into the office is, like you said, bumping into that person in the hallway who you saw two weeks ago or in the elevator right. or something that, you know, it's still a sort of closed community. The, exactly. The Slack I mean, channel. It, right. Again, and there's, there's, there is still a big difference, right? Is if you're still going to the office, you know, four, four and a half days a week, then again, one day, it's not going to kill you one right. day a week. Yeah. Right? It's that when you really start to push past that, you really see these, de- these deficits because, as you point out, you're not going to just cold email, cold call, or, or contact someone on Slack who you don't know. Yeah. You yeah. just don't do it. it it's ridiculously rare. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's an awkward thing. Right. But, you know, you're bought the coffee machine getting coffee, waiting for your coffee to be done. You could chat with the person who comes up there. That's something that you can't plan. Right. You can't, you're not going to schedule a meeting with some random person just because. Right? It's, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and even companies that have these sort of things, again, the utilization rate on them is abysmally low. And so, you, you know, rather than, it's not to say, again, that remote work isn't good for certain things. If there are days that you do need to get a lot of focus work done, then go for it. If you want to hang out in a co-working space and you're really because you really want to bump into people working on different things and get new ideas, again, occasionally go for it. It's that when you do that every single day, and that's that's not your that's not your job. Right. Like your job is actually to work with people in your organization. You're. It's not so much about hurting yourself, although it does hurt your longer-term career prospects. Mm. Um, but it, it's it's much more about negatively impacting everybody else that you work with right and so i guess what are some of the benefits let's say let's let's start with um from from a company's perspective or an employer's perspective what what are, what are the benefits to them to either i guess allowing somebody to work from home whether giving them the option to work from home or employing people who 
only work remotely um, in certain instances? I mean, I guess it like I'm sure it does depend on the, the company and the size of the company or what their what what business they're in. But I mean, I guess from a company's perspective, what are some of the benefits to mm-hmm. allowing comp- um, so employees to work remotely? Right, well, there's a number of things. I, I mean, obviously, if your business depends on uh, people in remote geographies, so like you're rolling out a uh, new business in Asia, uh, in, in India, let's say, um, or you really need a lot of interaction with customers and like that's a person's role, then having people that are out in the field really matches with their role. Okay? Um, but I'd say by far the most common reason that organizations uh, will not just allow but even encourage people to work remotely is that it's cheaper. Hmm. Um, if you don't come to the office, I don't need a desk for you. I don't need a chair for you. I need less office space. I save money. Um, but of course, we, we know where that ends. If that's all we care about, then we get rid of all our offices. Everyone works from home all the time. Yep. Now, there's this belief that that's not the right thing to do. But the question is, organization to organization, role to role, team to team, what actually makes you effective? And I'd argue that you know, I mean, again, we can go from here's what best practices are, here's what works for me, and that's that's not a great way to make a unanimous decision. Instead, you really do need to look at the data. What do you actually do internally? You say internally, these teams work really well. What do they do? These people work really well. What do they do? Um, but I, I would encourage everybody to try to look at this issue not from an individual perspective, what's most convenient for me, because for most people, if you never have to commute into work, uh, it's more convenient for you. Yeah, right? But it's, <laughs> sure. it's really to look at what are the impacts to your team and organization more broadly, and what makes that output better, mm. right? What makes people stay at the company longer? What makes them be happier? That's the question, right? And overwhelmingly, Right. Those things are driven by activities that really only happen in a physical office or that are primarily influenced by the physical workspace. Um, and so so typically that's overlooked because companies are so focused on near-term cost reduction. Yeah. What, and what do, you, what do you think is the sort of future of working from home in terms of um, how you know technology has has certainly enabled pe- more and more people with different job functions to work remotely or work from home, uh, whether exclusively or or on a case by case day by day basis. Um, what what are the trends? Where is it going? What's the future of it? Um, any any sort of insights on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that right now it's sort of the wild west, and that no one knows actually what the impact is. I, yeah. I think the future is much more of a tailored and data-driven approach uh, to this issue. Uh, obviously, I'm somewhat biased on this. <laughs> I guess that's what we do. Yep. Um, but at the same time, it, it's making these decisions just based on gut instinct makes no sense. There's ample data on this, even within a single organization. right? And to say, here are the things that we care about. What drives that? And if it turns out that in a certain role, a certain team, a certain organization, um, that proximity in the physical workplace doesn't drive those outcomes, um, then sure, then in those organizations, more people will be able to work remotely. Right? On the other hand, in organizations that, where that's not the case, um, that's not going to happen as much. Um, I do think that there is a future where there are more technologies that enable the same sort of serendipitous interactions 
um, that do make physical space more valuable um, to happen in a more virtual space, whether this is something that's closer to the matrix or it actually looks like <laughs> a physical office, but you can do interesting things, that's possible, yeah. right? It could happen at some point. Yep. Um, I don't think we're that close to it. Um, but I think certainly at that point, things get a lot more interesting. Um, but, you know, again, there's a, there's a question of whether, you know, we're all, you know, still working or retired at that point. Yeah. Um, and so I think, you know, more likely you're going to see a much more considered approach to this and that companies that are only focused on cost cutting will certainly move to mostly eliminate offices. But if you had to bet, they probably won't exist in 10, 20 years. Yeah. I'm the probably go out of business. Right. Yeah. Um, and I guess what are some specific uh, sort of tasks that, you know, work, working remotely <laughs> – even in the in the in the current day, like it, where it is product either more productive or just like even production from what you would get in in a in a work office setting, are there are there specific like duties that um, that are have been proven in the data to be like this is a like the you know this role it it is productive to to sort of have people that do this role um, working offsite. Yes, and so actually, of course, this is where I, I plug my column in Quartz, where I, I yeah. literally wrote an article <laughs> striking it down. Um, but, you know, at a high level, working remotely is good at two things in particular. So one is focused work, right? If you need to do un uninterrupted work, so 15 minutes or more of uninterrupted work in those sort of chunks, um, that's easier to do when you work remotely. I mean, you can sit in a room you know, open up a document and no one's going to come in and interrupt you if you're in your house, right? That's less likely that's going to happen more if you're in the office. Um, the vast majority of people, of course, overestimate how much focus work they need to do. Yeah. If we look across our data, that pretty much you max out at 40% focus work if you're doing, if you're any sort of knowledge worker. Mm. Um, it's not saying brief periods, it could be closer to 60%, but vast majority of the time is 40%. So look at it this way. Uh, you know, one day a week, 20% of your time. So if you took work from home one, one day a week, that's 20%. You know, if you work two days a week from home, that would mean that you're doing zero focus work, like absolutely zero when you're in the office, which is sort of ridiculous. So more likely, again, it, it's pretty clear, you, if you work one day from home, not a big deal. And then the other days you're in the office, you're spending 5% of your time in focus work, pretty reasonable, right? Yep. Um, the other thing that working remotely is good at is, uh, it's exploration. It's really, you know, generating new ideas, um, yeah, helping with, with research into understanding how different things work, right? Um, that's use, remote working, not like sitting in your house, but more, again, whether it's going into a co-working space, like that, that mm. can be really effective. Um, and again, the amount, I'd say that's typically a more dynamic type of need, that if you're you know, let's say you're in R&D and right now you're tasked with coming up with a new project idea. Maybe that's something where for a couple of weeks you lean pretty heavily um, on that kind of work environment. But that eventually you do have to come back to the office because everyone else has to assimilate that knowledge. If you're too uh, disconnected from everybody else, uh, knowledge transfer takes a lot longer. Yeah. Um, so you eventually do need to come back. And there, But there are, again, those periods in time where that's very useful. Um, of course, the last one is just geographic projects or you know, whether you're physically rolling out in a new location or you have customers that are off-site or you're a salesperson, that 
of course, working remotely is uh, most likely preferable in those circumstances. But again, we're talking about, um, relatively speaking, a pretty small number um, of, of workers relative to um, all the um, sort of internal collaborative work that is done across most organizations. Yeah. Is there any sort of data on what the the impact, like negative impacts it has on, on an individual? Um, are there, um, just in terms of like, I guess like, you know, like what you what you sort of get from being, yeah. you know, in uh, around other people and stuff like just being, are are there like morale impacts or like psychological impacts, like ne- like negative sure. ones that you know of and, and that the data bears out? Yeah, so there's, there's a number of things. So first of all, you are going to be more likely to leave um, leave your company. I mean, again, your cohesion will be lower, which is pretty much the biggest predictor um, of retention. Um, but of course, also your coworkers are going to be more likely to leave the company. Um, they're also at higher risk of uh, developing higher stress because the more cohesive groups tend to be better um, at reducing stress levels in stressful times. Um, again, lots of good data on that. Part of my thesis on it, a bunch of published papers on it. Yep. Um, so people can dig into that. Um, also, um, even then longer term for your career, um, at least within your current organization, um, there's pretty demonstrable negative impacts on your potential for promotion, uh, mostly because the biggest um, predictor promotion are uh, essentially weak ties. They're, they're connections you make to people in different parts of the organization. These are people who you don't normally meet. Right, you randomly bump into people. Um, you don't really have a business reason to talk to them, but that's where you find out about these unique opportunities uh, internally um, mm. that are really beneficial. Now, and that is going to be significantly negatively impacted if you work completely remotely. Right. Now, you could possibly balance that if you are working co-working spaces that you're going to meet, you know, other people in other organizations, mm. and you'll be more likely to work there. But if your concern is moving up in your current organization. Um, you're going to do demonstrably worse yeah. if you uh, spend a significant amount of time um, out of the office. What's really critical is that we take a hard quantitative view on what we do and what we should be doing. Right. It's not to say that relying on our gut is always bad. There's good reasons to do that a lot of the time. But certainly when it comes to how we collaborate and how we work with other people, um, there's no excuse anymore to grope around blindly for that. There is ample data at our disposal um, about how we should be working on both as individuals, but then also how companies should structure and uh, encourage or incentivize their workforce so that the right stuff tends to happen. And importantly, you might get it wrong, right? It's not to say this is all statistical. It's gonna work some of the time, it will work, work all the time. But that what you're essentially doing is maximize block by applying analytics to how we collaborate. We're able to make it so that more often than not, better stuff happens and we get better outcomes. And I think that's, that's that is what we all want. Um, and it's thinking about that from not just an individual perspective and what's best for me right now. It's how do I make where we spend the majority of our waking hours, which is work. How do I make that better uh, for everyone that I work with? This has been an Ogilvy production. Our sound engineer is Ken Meyer, and our music and special effects are produced by Alan Hotchkiss. Mm-hmm. You, you, you gonna 